Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Can you hear me okay? All right. Un- unfortunately, yes. That's, it's Hope Church. I'm going to get that. It's, you know, it's just the way it works. But we're glad to have you here. If you are visiting or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this card in your bulletin and we will follow up accordingly. Encourage you to share those prayer requests with us. We have a team of people who take those very seriously, and uh, we look forward to praying for whatever's going on in your life. Uh, if you are at home and you want to follow along with your kids what we're doing today, there's a lesson plan. Uh, this is going to take maybe a little more preparation, so you can do this you know, after you go to the grocery store to get the supplies. But... Um, Kind of fun, should be a good uh, object lesson for your kiddos if you would like to do that with us, uh, following along with the themes that we're covering in our current sermon series. Uh, We would like to just remind everyone that tonight uh, is normally we would have youth group at 5.15, but tonight what we hope is that you will spend time with your neighbors and your family, have some fun, meet some people, and get to know your neighborhood a little bit better. Because, um, you know, you could, like, get to know them and then bring them to church. Just an idea. Just just an idea. Yeah, but I uh, encourage you to spend time out tonight and uh, get to know some folks better that are around you. Um, so youth group will will reconvene a week from today with um, a bowling event. So we're going to use our dumpster as the backstop, and our youth are selecting various sundry items that will be bowled at some sort of pins, and these items will not be um, what's the word, necessarily round or otherwise stable. No, there will be food products. I'm very sure of that. So just some ideas that have been floated around. I'm not promising anything, but I've heard like watermelons, um, frozen turkeys, I'm not sure what all's coming, but it's going to be ugly. That's the idea. It's going to be messy bowling, because um, there's nothing more disgusting than a frozen turkey that's been bowled 10 to 12 times down the concrete parking lot, and then it's your turn. Yes. I don't know. Maybe while it's frozen, we'll drill holes in it so you can get a good grip on it. Yeah, just shot turkey put. Very good. So youth bowling coming up next week. Um, I advise you to set your expectations very low. (laughs) All right. So what else do we have going on around here? We have a men's night coming up on November 19th, and we're going to set up our nativity scene out front that night. And then we will also get out the church decor for Christmas so that that Sunday following after church we can set up for Christmas. So that's the plan. Um, 
I think that's all I got. So, at this time, why don't we have all the important people in the room come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited down for our children's chat at this time. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're finishing your Bible? You finished the Bible? Oh, okay. You're just, you're just reading in Genesis. All right. And what verse did you just read? Well, read it to us. It's okay. Read, read the first sentence. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Is that what you said? He created the heavens and the earth. Very good. So where did all this come from? The Bible and God. Good answer. I'll take I'll accept that. You have your name on your Bible. That's awesome. Well, I have a question for you. Let's see. Good. I'm glad. Foxy cake to match your foxy animal. Very nice. So I have a question. Have you ever been thirsty? What does that feel like? It feels like you're thirsty. That's pretty good. You're thirsty right now? So what do you want when you're thirsty? Water. And uh, what's... If you so if you're thirsty and you drink water then you'll never be thirsty again? We will Why? Why do you get thirsty again? Why can't you just drink water once and it just sticks with you? We're not God. Okay. You that's a good setup. So Jesus was talking to someone one time And he said, um, if you had known who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right? And so living water, living water is different from the water we drink. I'll, I'll go on. So Jesus said, everyone who drinks of the living water I'm sorry, everybody who drinks regular water will be thirsty again. But the water that I give him will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman he was talking to said, Sir, please give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to get more water. But was Jesus talking about the water we drink? No, he was talking about water that gives eternal life. That you'll never be thirsty again. And so that water that Jesus gives fills our hearts and we are never spiritually thirsty again. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? 
What? So Jesus wants us to know that he is the living water for our souls, that he will quench our spiritual thirst, that he will take away our desire or our, our lack of des- whatever I'm trying to say. I just got lost in my own words. Jesus is good. <laughs> Drink him in, right? And you're, you know what you get to do today? In Hope for Kids, you get to make slime today. Yay! It should be fun. It should be fun and, and maybe a little messy. It's okay. Well, now you'll have your own slime. Awesome. It's fine with me. I think I've lost complete control. Why don't we pray? All right. Dear God, thank you for these precious children and for the gifts that they are to our church and to our lives. We pray your blessing over them as they study more of your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would fill each one of them with the living water that is your son, Jesus. And we just pray that they would grow in grace and truth today and throughout their lives. We pray your your blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Safe. Yes, don't they know we're Presbyterians? We don't show excitement. Strictly forbidden. None of y'all ever run in here like that. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yes, that's smart. Smart, smart. Will you uh, join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you and ask as we open your word that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us through your eternal word, uh, and that we would leave here changed as a result of worshiping you through your word. Father, that you would be at work in our hearts, uh, ministering your grace and your truth to us. And Lord, as we prepare to engage you through your word, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and our disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies upon your people. We pray for our nation and its leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially 
for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we pray for those who have served our country and returned home changed as a result of their service. We pray that you would use us, your church, to minister your grace and your peace and your healing to their hearts, bodies, and souls. And Lord, we pray that you would be at work uh, through your church here at Hope and around the world to shine your light, to show your love to the world. We pray for the churches that we are connected to through our denomination, and we pray for the missionaries that we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over those works. We lift up the uh, church plants that are taking place in Texas, uh, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over those young works of your spirit, and we just pray that you would use them to shine your light and grow your kingdom. We pray the same for us here at Hope, that we would uh, shine the light of your love into our community, that you would use us to extend your grace to those who do not yet have a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. May we be used for the sake of growing your kingdom right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Coming out of the past, I don't know, year and a half or so, I think we've all been dealing with various different types of discouragement. And so we thought it would be fruitful to do a series of messages that looked at different people throughout Scripture who faced periods of severe discouragement in their lives and to really ask the question how does God show up for those people how does he move into redemptively move into their difficulties and so we've looked at Adam and Eve we've looked at Moses we've looked at King David when he was uh, fleeing for his life and and hiding uh, on as a refugee in another country and We've looked at uh, the prophet Elijah, um, and this week, we looked at, uh, last week we looked at a, a man who'd been possessed by demons and, and who was living uh, alone in a, in a graveyard, and Jesus came to him. And this week we're going to take a look at a woman who we only know as the woman at the well, and she is from a region uh, of the Middle East that was called Samaria at the time that Jesus was alive. And this was a rather, uh, it's a difficult place to describe. It used to be Jewish, used to be part of Israel, and then through various foreign occupations, it ceased to be part of Israel and culturally had adapted itself to some of the other religious practices of its occupying forces and surrounding cultures. And so it was Jew-ish, but not part of Israel anymore. So the people are ethnically still similar, but culturally and religiously they've, they've separated themselves and, and they practice substantially differently than the Israelites are comfortable with. And so this creates a really awkward um, relationship between good, observant Jews 
and the Samaritans, the people of Samaria. And so the basic solution to this problem, if you were a good, observant Jew, is you don't talk to these people. They are unclean. And in fact, it, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but if you were traveling from where Jesus grew up in Galilee down to Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem, sorry, it's down on the map, up metaphorically and altitude-wise, but if you were traveling up to Jerusalem, you had a choice. You could take the short path through Samaria, or you would probably go, ew, I don't want to go anywhere near those people, and you would go across the Jordan River, down through what is currently the country of Jordan, and then back across the Jordan River just above the Dead Sea and up to Jerusalem because you did not want to associate with the people of Samaria. And so Jesus is traveling with his disciples in this episode in the Gospel of John. I'm going to be looking at the Gospel of John in chapter 4. And he's traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem. And he decides to take the short route through Samaria, which probably made all of his followers just a little bit uncomfortable. And so you will see this interaction. There's another cultural element to this that you should be aware of before we read the passage, and that is this, simply, that if you were a good, observant Jewish man, you would not be caught talking alone with a woman, particularly, well, if she wasn't your wife or your daughter or somehow related to you, and particularly a stranger, and even more particularly a foreigner or a Samaritan woman, this would just not have been okay. And so with that context, I'm going to start reading from John chapter 4, but I want to make sure you're aware of just how radically not okay all of the context that leads to this conversation was in this time period. And you'll, you'll actually see later in the passage the, the disciples trying to process, like, whoa, 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 what's going on, right? Because there's so many cultural norms that have been ignored in the, uh, in the transpiring of this conversation. So I'm going to start in John chapter 4, verse 5, and I'm going to read all the way through 42, verse 42. So we got a lot of scripture this morning, but it's okay. We'll get through this. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask, me, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Mashiach, Messiah, is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. 
For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Was that bizarre enough for you? So, how do we put ourselves in the place of this Samaritan woman? And I think any of you who have been through a divorce or the, the, the disillusion of a, of, a, of a relationship of that scale have probably felt something of where this woman is. She has got to be, like when Jesus says, go get your husband, the sinking reality within her of, oh, yeah, I'm not very good at that. And then Jesus presses her and tells her her entire sort of, train wreck of relational history, and she is completely undone. And so maybe, maybe if you've ever been laid off, like for no reason, you may have felt this way. Just unwanted, unneeded, useless, whatever you want to put in that blank. Um, This woman... So let's just make sure we get the, the context here. So women in this time period would have gone to the well at sunrise. That would have been the first thing they did when they got out of bed. They would grab their jars, or these are clay pots, probably put it on their head and walk down to the well. And then the, this drawing of water became like a communal relational event and they would talk about their kids and their grandkids and their friends and their neighbors. And did you hear what Betty did yesterday or whatever, right? This is a time for friendship and relationship and community. And the, the first woman there would start drawing water, but she wouldn't leave until everyone's clay jars were full of water. And then they would take them home. And they would use that water to prepare their meals for the day. And then in the evening, they would probably go back in the cool of the evening right before sunset and draw water again. And this woman, we're told, is drawing water at the sixth hour of the day, which is probably around noon. So six hours after all the other other women in her community, they don't want her in their circle. They don't want her uh, in their community. She's a cast-off. She's unwanted. She's not part of their 
greater tribal family. And this is the woman that Jesus strikes up a conversation with. And you might not think this is that big of a deal. But in the context, in, I mean, you even see in her reaction, Sir? You, a Jewish man, talking to a Samaritan woman? Really? Are you serious? And there are some scholars who look at this, and I think there's some validity to this, that they look at this and they, they feel like she is interpreting Jesus' comments as flirtation. And obviously Jesus is not flirting with her, but the fact that she is probably interpreting it that way is, is most likely accurate. She would have no other grid through which to process the opening of this conversation. And so you see her willing to follow the, the, the thinking, the, the conversation, to see where this goes. And of course, Jesus turns very quickly to the subject of eternal life. So that would be a subject that this woman would have felt was completely unavailable to her. Like there are others who are in good standing in the community who are good religious people who they may be able to have this conversation. There might be fruit there for them, but not me. I'm broken. I'm alone. I'm unwanted. I'm shunned. And this is the very person that Jesus comes to and speaks to and begins to turn the subject towards something that she had no hopes of ever achieving. And so here they are, and here we are, and where are we to begin our understanding of this passage? And I I would say it very simply this way, that the first thing we are to take away from this passage is that God is calling us to quench our spiritual thirst to find the satisfaction that is for our souls only found in Jesus Christ, to seek the living water that he provides. That is, to turn our hearts towards eternity. That's the first place that he moves her toward in his conversation. This idea of eternal satisfaction, which had to have sounded to her ridiculous. There's no eternal satisfaction for a woman whose life is as big as a wreck as mine. And yet, Jesus tells her and tells us, come as you are. Come to my cross as you are. I will take care of the sin. I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have a mission. I have the ability to lay down my life for your forgiveness. And there are some really fascinating interactions here. Um, Jesus is talking with her and, and says, I'm jumping a little bit ahead in the passage, but he says, God is spirit. And yet, the beautiful irony in that verse is that God incarnate 
God in flesh is saying those words to her. And what he is saying is, it's, I'm right here. That the, the, the cosmic solution to the, to the sin problem and to your personal sin problem is in, here in the flesh. The living God is here. And he is here for the purpose of atoning for our sins. And so, we are to come as we are. And then he, t- he turns the conversation to a very interesting direction when he starts telling her that he wants her to worship God genuinely, to genuinely worship God. That true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, what in the world is going on? And I'll, I'll try to explain. So, in Jerusalem at this time, there was a temple. And inside the temple, there were two things that were, that were of particular significance. One is the altar, which sits outside in a courtyard, right outside the, the Holy of Holies, if you will, the, 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 where the Ark of the Covenant would have been resting inside the temple. And the other place is that ark itself, which represents God's presence here on earth. Now, in the Jewish temple, that throne for God had no seat. It had, it had two golden winged creatures that spread their wings over the top of it so that no human could sit on the throne of God. And so God's presence is spiritual, as Jesus points out. God is spirit. And this woman is having a conversation with him like, well, y'all say you have to go to Jerusalem to worship correctly. But my people here, we have a mountain here, and we worship there. Uh, Is that okay, or is your thing right, or what am I supposed to do? And Jesus just sort of smiles and says, I got this. Because at some point in the near future, he will be condemned. And he will be taken away from that temple to a hillside nearby and crucified. And that sacrifice, that will be the altar of our forgiveness. And so Jesus is making a shift, a massive shift, away from the temple worship to a new ethic for worship, which is, it comes from the heart. It has to be genuine. We can't just go to Jerusalem and follow the the ten steps to a cleaner you. You have to come to the foot of a cross, of a place where a Savior was executed cruelly for our forgiveness. And Jesus says there is this is the great equalizer of humanity. Because no one can stand at the foot of that cross and think that they are any better than any other human being in history. We are all in need of that grace that was demonstrated there for us. And once we have rendered ourselves into that equation of forgiveness where we bring nothing to the to the. To the process of our salvation then and there 
we have the opportunity to worship God genuinely in spirit and in truth anywhere. And this is, a, this is the other radical step that Jesus is making. He's like, not there, not there, everywhere. People everywhere can worship me. They can have the direct presence of God in their hearts because of what I have done for them on the cross. And so we are to seek this living water. We're to know that we come as we are, train wrecks or what have you, to genuinely worship Him and to accept Him as the Messiah. And what you see going on there, this woman and Jesus would have been having this conversation in a language called Aramaic, which is just a a Near Eastern uh, local dialect. And it was related to uh, both um, Hebrew as well as the Arabic that would emerge from that region a little later as well. And the word Messiah just means anointed. And if you translate anointed into the Greek in which this chapter was written, it comes out Christo or Christ. And so that's what you see going on linguistically there is just the, the author is clarifying for his Greek readers that when she talks about the Messiah and Jesus says, he who talks is talking to you is he, or how, I'm sorry, I totally butchered that. I who speak to you am he. That, that John just makes sure that all of his Greek readers understand that's the anointed one. That's who he's talking about. That's who that Jesus is claiming to be. And it is, it is rather remarkable that Jesus' disciples who've gone up to the hill to buy food in the town, and if you know anything about ancient towns, you always put them on a hill. That way when somebody comes by to hurt you, you throw rocks on their heads. That's how it works. All right. So they go up to the town to get some food. He's down at the well. And I totally lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? No, that was, that was the side sidebar. The anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. I think that's a good takeaway. Thank you. To accept him as the Messiah. Okay, yeah. So this is a great place to move to the second point in the message. So what we're going to do is we're going to just sort of conclude this first call that, that we're to find the satisfaction, the eternal satisfaction for our souls in Christ, in this promised one that God has sent. And where do we turn our hearts now? To this aspect of this passage that is clearly calling us to share the message, to, to extend the grace, to extend hope to others. So what does this woman do? She leaves her clay jar, which is not just an important possession. It's not the value of the jar itself. It's this jar is the vessel through which her daily sustenance is maintained. This leaving her jar is is like 
don't know, leaving your house or something. It's, it's so important. The metaphor is a very strong one. Any first century person hearing this would have been, whoa, she just left it there? That's not smart. Um, and she goes back to the town that doesn't want her, that has nothing to do with her, and she starts saying, I think I found the Messiah. And this is somewhat unbelievable, right? Because they had to be going, yeah, you? <laughs> I don't think so, right? But the most fascinating thing here is Jesus, while she's gone, starts having this other conversation with his disciples. And what he's saying is, like, oh, you you know, here on, in this sphere, you have to... You have to sow, and then you have to wait, and then you have to harvest. It's like the kingdom of God can work that way, or it can work another way, where the harvest comes at the time of sowing. And he sort of says, like, you know, hold my, hold my water and watch this, right? Because... What happens is he looks, he's, he's talking to his disciples about harvesting the eternal harvest of the kingdom of God while the Samaritans are walking down the hill from their village in droves. And so, point of clarification, do you know what an ancient Samaritan would have worn? Anyone? Robes. And... In all likelihood, let's assume this was summertime, what color would those robes be? White. And Jesus says, look up. The fields are are white for the harvest. He's talking about the souls of mankind. And he's saying to to his followers, like, the sowing and reaping that I want you to do can happen at the same time. Watch this. And they come down the hill in droves because they can't believe the, the joy, the relief, the, the change, the visible, discernible change in the persona of this shunned woman who is now alive in ways she's never been who has found eternal hope for her broken soul. And the town people become interested, and they start flowing down the hill. And then the most amazing thing happens. They invite Jesus to stay there, and he stays. So they invite... So the the clothing although they probably were all wearing white, the style of dress, the accents, would have been clearly distinct, at least to them. right? That's a Samaritan. That's a Jew. We don't mix. Stay away. And the Samaritans invite the Jewish group that's traveling through to stay. And the Jewish leader accepts the invitation. And so we see this call in this passage for us to tell our story. This woman goes up the hill, just tells her story. They all know the before. They all know 
who she was. They can't believe the after. So they have to go see for themselves. So Jesus says something that I I find very interesting here to his disciples. And this is in verses 31 through 34. And I'm thinking particularly about verse 34. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. No Middle Eastern man of the first century or woman or any child or anyone would ever skip a meal on purpose. This was a recipe for disaster. And in this period of time, not every meal was secure. Not every meal was certain. And so when his disciples go up and they find lunch, you know, like Jimmy John's was open, and they bring it down the hill, and Jesus is like, I'm good. He has all of their attention. Like, what? You're not going to eat? What's wrong with you? Are you sick? Are you delirious? Like, what's wrong? And he says, I, I want you to see something. This is what feeds my soul. And soon, in your lives as Christians, this will be the food of the kingdom of God. This which gives energy to God's people will be seeing the light go on. The light of the Messiah go bing in someone's soul. And so that's when the people come down the hill. And that's when Jesus says, the fields are white. For the harvest. And that's where the disciples get their first taste of what we call evangelism, but really it's just the light going on in the souls of others. And so here's, here's what I would say to you if you, are, if you are feeling ditched, if you have felt ditched, if you have felt shunned, unwanted, unnecessary at any point in your life. That is a piece of bread that in the telling of your story will nourish another to hear that you've been there, that you've felt that, that you know what it's like to be truly human. And that food will be transformed when that light goes on. That will be your food. And so this transaction that Jesus is speaking of here or pointing us toward reminds us to tell our story and then to be strengthened by doing God's will. If you are discouraged, the best way to deal with that is to get out of yourself and do something for someone else. To share, just to, to bless someone, to share the light of Christ with another person. Only use words if necessary. So, here we are. Called to tell our story, to be strengthened by doing God's will, to bring others to Him, to see that the fields are white for the harvest, and to let others hear for themselves who Jesus is. This is a strange 
responsibility that we have. So what Jesus has done for me is not on one level exactly the same as what he has done for you. On another level, it's entirely the same. And so to be able to speak of those two things, of my experience, in such a way that it informs your experience, but not that I am expecting your experience to be exactly the same as mine. Our calling is to share the love of Christ. It's not to argue with people or try to convince them, but to allow them to see for themselves that God loves them, that he forgives them, that he accepts them as they are, that he does not see us through the human lenses that we look at each other through. He sees us as forgiven, as objects of his affection, as the point of his redemptive work on the cross. He didn't do that to show how incredible he is. He did that to bring you to himself. His work, his food, is us. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, help us to see that you are the Messiah, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the Promised One, who worked through God's will for the purpose of gathering a family to himself on this earth, a family that will last forever. Lord, help us to quench our spiritual thirst in the living water of Jesus Christ and lead us to be springs of living water welling up from within us that will refresh the souls of others. Help us to tell our story, to shine your light, to extend your hope even to people who don't feel that they are worthy. For Lord, we too are not worthy of what you have done for us. And we thank you that you have put us upon that level ground at the foot of your cross where we can only look up and say thank you. It is in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.